0: Welcome to The Padres Chair, an insightful commentary on everyday life presented by Dr. Tim Schroeder. Sometimes controversial, always reflective, The Padres Chair will nudge you to consider current reality through the lens of time-honored truths found in the Holy Scriptures. The goal of each podcast is to cause you to wrestle with the impact these ancient truths have on your own life. Here's Tim with today's topic. I didn't grow up on a farm. But I did grow up in a family where having a garden was considered an essential part of the family food plan. Consequently, as a youngster, one of my regular summertime chores was to go out back and weed the garden. It was there I learned one of life's deeper lessons. I discovered I could go into the garden and either take the time and effort to carefully pull weeds by their roots, or... If i was in a hurry because i wanted to do something more fun i could quickly lop the top off with a hole and then of course do it all over again a week later and a week after that it became apparent at a fairly young age that there is a more and a less effective way to weed one's garden now I assume you didn't download this podcast to talk about how to weed gardens. You can find much more qualified advice on that anywhere else. So let's get to the real topic. Here it is. Whenever you discover your past is continuing to cause problems in your present, it's time to address root issues. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's back up and set the stage. If you didn't listen to the first podcast in this recalibration series, I encourage you to do that, even before continuing with this one. It'll give you helpful background. But here's the short version. In the Older Testament book of Nehemiah, we encounter an unparalleled script of positive change. It starts with the description of how the sacred city in Nehemiah's hometown was a broken-down disaster. Nehemiah didn't live in Jerusalem. He was in exile in Persia. But when he heard the news about the horrible state of affairs in Jerusalem, it just broke his heart. That brokenness in Podcast One we we described as the essential starting point for change. It's unlikely that you, or for that matter anyone, will ever recalibrate life until and unless there is a complete brokenness over the current status. You'll, you'll recall we, we quoted that great man Popeye as stating, I can't stands it no more, as the actual launching point of change. Then, in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, he acted. He took the huge risk of initiating a dream to go back and rebuild that city. He went so far as to ask the Persian king Artaxerxes to help finance it, something unheard of for a servant in exile in a foreign country to ask from a king. Miraculously, and I, I use that word on purpose, miraculously, Artaxerxes agreed, and off to Jerusalem went Nehemiah. First thing he did was to conduct a clandestine midnight inspection to figure out exactly how bad things were and what it would take to rebuild. Then, once he had done his homework, and I hope you notice that there is no shortcut to any of this, having done his homework, Nehemiah then stood courageously in public to cast a compelling vision to rebuild Jerusalem, starting with the city walls. His vision caught fire. The people were moved by what he said. They were moved to act. And and by chapter 3, work was underway with everybody doing their part. And then it happened. Chapter 4, The Smooth Sailing Project ran right head-on into fierce opposition. (laughs) Surprising, isn't it? Sometimes, even when you're doing something good, even when you're doing what's right, even when you're trying to positively get your life back on course, not only will not everyone be supportive, but sometimes opposition will actually come against you to the point that... In this case, every person working on repairing that wall was so under attack they needed an armed guard to watch their backs while they were doing it. It was just plain ordinary hard going. And it's out of that experience that today's topic emerges. Why does opposition so often come when you're trying to do good? Why is recalibrating your own life in a positive direction often so darn hard? The answer... It's because oftentimes there are some root issues that have never been fully dealt with. And the weeds keep coming back. We may have lopped the top off of most of the weeds in our life, but but allowed a few roots to remain just festering below the surface. And remember our bullseye of today's topic? Whenever you discover that your past is continuing to cause problems in your present, it's time to go back and address root issues. Nehemiah chapter 5 exposes not the external opposition that was coming to their rebuilding project, not the external opposition to growth and change and recalibration. You can always expect some opposition from outside. But Nehemiah 5 deals with what was happening internally that kept the people from seeing the desired results. Now, at this point, you've likely already figured out that This is not going to be the easiest or most fun podcast we've ever shared. But it may very well be one of the more productive. Dealing with the roots of the weeds in our own lives. Now, just one more thought before we start digging out root issues, the ones found in Nehemiah. This thought is worth taking note of. The time in your life and mine when these root issues tend to show up not usually on the good days when everything's going fine. When everything is smooth, just like apps on your mobile device, they they tend to just be running quietly in the background. But in the hard seasons, when opposition comes, when we're struggling, when the battery runs low, those root issues running in the background often begin to cause problems right out in the foreground. There's something about hard times. There's something about tough seasons that reveals unresolved issues in the background of our lives. And let me just cut right to the chase. That's why this COVID season, which is getting so long and so hard, is such an opportune time for us to deal with the deeper things because they're starting to show This tough season has made some of the weeds that much more obvious. All right, with all that as background, let's identify some of these root issues that appear in Nehemiah 5. We'll translate them into our own setting and then just decide what we're going to do about them. We'll do three of them today. And for simplicity's sake, I'll, I'll just simply label them or describe them as three root issues that can screw up your life. And here they are. I'm going to name all three first, and then we'll talk about them in order. Route one is when you allow personal entitlement to take priority over community well-being. Number two, when you allow personal advancement to take priority over making amends or making things right. And number three is when you allow personal privacy to take priority over public commitment. These are three deep issues and they all came into play for Nehemiah. So let's take a closer look. Number one, when you allow personal entitlement to take priority over community well-being. Anytime, anytime a me first root is allowed to remain, it's guaranteed to cause problems for you down the road. Guaranteed. Because no matter how hard you try or how privileged you are, you won't always be first. And this might hurt a little bit. You shouldn't always be first. A me-first attitude, an entitlement attitude, is a nasty route that's got to come out. Let me briefly remind you of the background. And then I'm just going to read right from the text what was going on because it's almost unbelievable. The, the city of Jerusalem was in ruins. The walls were smashed. The gates were burned. It was a horrible mess. And the people had agreed they were going to step up and change it. And they were working hard. They were sacrificing, even in the face of external opposition. They were determined. They were going to get it done. Beyond external enemies, they were also experiencing some natural hard times in this project. There was a famine going on in the land, and they didn't have enough food. So the bottom line is times were really, really tough as they were trying to do what was right. And now comes chapter 5. There was a great protest of the people and their wives against their fellow Jews, against their own people. Some said, with our sons and daughters, we're many and we need grain to eat and stay alive. Others said, we've got to mortgage our fields and our vineyards and, and our houses in order to get grain during the famine. Still others said, man, we've had to borrow money against our fields and our vineyards in order to pay the king's tax. We're of the same flesh and blood as our kin. Our children are the same as theirs. And yet we're about to force our sons and daughters into slavery. And and some of our daughters are already slaves. There's nothing we can do since our fields and our vineyards now belong to others. Let Let me give you the blunt translation of this. Make sure nobody misses what's going on here. The city was a mess. Enemies were causing problems for them as they tried to fix it. There was a natural disaster of famine making it harder. And in the face of all that, some of their own people who were a bit more privileged than the rest were using these circumstances to take advantage of their own neighbors. They were loaning money and grain to their neighbors, but then charging exorbitant interest rates. And they were seizing property and they were seizing children into slavery for their own profit, all at the expense of their own countrymen who were trying to rebuild the city. This wasn't the enemy doing this. This was their own people with a sense of entitlement, with a me-first posture, with an ugly selfishness, who were putting their own interests ahead of the good of the city. And it got to the point where it demoralized everyone. A sense of entitlement when acted on will sooner or later invite fierce opposition into your life. Guaranteed. By this point in these podcasts, most of you know that I'm a police chaplain. A few weeks ago, I was on duty with a policeman uh, working highway patrol. And he stopped one car, which was coming toward us at a very high rate of speed. And then while we sat at the roadside for a few minutes as he rode out the ticket, something interesting happened. Car after car that passed us from behind honked their horn and waved. And the cop looked at me with a smile. He said, man, he says, I love this part of it. He says, I love knowing that I've made a really good stop when every other driver on the road is happy to see this guy getting a ticket. That guy's me-first driving all along the journey obviously angered all the rest of the motorists. Yep, you understand that. You know how you feel when you encounter somebody who's entitled. You know how you feel when they cut in line in front of you. You know how we all responded when news came out that some were jumping cue to get vaccinated before their turn. Entitlement always causes problems and it's so easy to see in others (laughs) but you know this the weed of me first exists to a greater or lesser extent in all of us and until we learn to recognize it and deal with it it'll cause problems in our marriages in our parenting in our work environments in our neighborhoods in our driving in our politics in our churches it will cause problems everywhere And I read these ancient stories, and then I look around my own life in 2021, and there's almost no difference. Isn't it interesting that to an entitled group, Jesus said, "Uh, by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. If you wanna be first, go last. If you wanna be great, learn to serve. Attack the root of entitlement, because it's a huge issue in most of our lives. Well, that's number one. The second route that'll screw up your life is connected to the first one, but it's a little bit more practical. Route number two is when you allow personal interests to take priority over making amends. I'll explain this as we go along. The, the, the connection of this route to the first one is quite obvious because here you realize that. What you've done, your sense of entitlement, has actually hurt someone, has actually wronged someone. But it costs too much to correct what you've done, to correct the damage. And so instead of making amends, you cover it up and hope it'll go away. And you never make things right. You literally lop the tops off the weeds and naively hope that they'll never grow again. Bottom line, when you do something wrong... Make it right, because until you do, it'll always be there. Nehemiah suggests that nothing in your life will really change until you address what you have done and make amends. When he heard what was going on, and people charging exorbitant interest and in taking their children into slavery, he first of all, he burst out in anger. He, they described their misconduct in great detail. And then at the end of verse 10, he just literally shouts out, he's like, stop it fix it. Literally, he says, stop charging this interest. Give it back to them right now. Return their fields, their vineyards, and their olives, orchards, and, and their houses. And, and give back the interest on the money, the grain, the wine, and the oil that you're charging them. Make things right. That's the only way they'll ever get over it, and you'll be able to hold your head up again in their presence. When I was 15 years old i had a part-time job at a little co-op grocery store in calgary one day i was putting some stock away in the back room which was right beside the manager's office when a mother came marching through the swinging doors with her little blonde-haired freckle-faced eight-year-old son in tow she asked for the manager and i directed her to his office And in they went, and I heard and watched the mother as she approached the manager. She said, sir, we have something to say to you. And then she turned to her little guy, and she said, do it. Trembling with tears trickling down his cheeks, the little kid reached into his pocket, and he took out a crumpled chocolate bar wrapper, and he put it on the boss's desk. And then he reached back into the same pocket, and he dug out a handful of quarters, nickels, and dimes, and he poured them onto the desk beside the wrapper. And she said, now tell him. The little guy said, I I, I stole this chocolate bar and I'm here to pay for it and to tell you I will never do it again. And before my surprised boss could say anything, the mother spoke up. And looking at the manager, she said to him, don't you dare tell him it's okay. I'm not raising any thieves in my house and he needs to learn it's not okay to take stuff without paying and he's going to make it right. That was one pretty smart mom, don't you think? She was teaching her son that when you do wrong, you make it right, even when it costs you. That's how you root out the weeds. The most popular 12-step program in the world has learned that this is an indispensable part of healing and wholeness. Step nine, making amends. Now, I know in our Christian faith, there might be some pushback on this, saying that forgiveness and healing doesn't come from making amends. It comes from God's grace, which is absolutely correct. But grace is never permission to not do what's right. Rather, grace gives you the incentive and the power to do it. I I say this with all the love and all the grace that I possess. But if you've got stuff from your past that's continuing to give you problems in the present, it might be time to dig out the roots and go back and fully face what happened and make it right. It's a key step in recalibrating life. All right, one more, and this one really goes against current thinking, so be ready to think to yourself. I I think Tim's gone off the deep end this time, but I hope I'll convince you otherwise. A third route that will cause you problems is when you allow personal privacy to take priority over public commitment. One of our 21st century first world's most deeply guarded values is that of our privacy. And we got privacy commissioners and safeguards built into almost every aspect of our lives to keep our private stuff private. And that's okay except when it isn't. You see, failure to openly acknowledge wrong, to openly accept responsibility, to openly declare our intention to change and make things right, that just keeps the roots of the weeds hidden in the dark recesses of our lives and almost guarantees that we won't ever deal with them. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not an advocate for airing dirty laundry all over the place. But I know from personal experience that keeping dark secrets secret robs me of the potential and the power to change. Nehemiah called out the people publicly for abusing their neighbors. He demanded change from them. And then in verse 12, an amazing thing happened. They replied, we'll return everything. We won't charge anything else. We will do what you've asked. And then notice what happens next. Nehemiah says, So I called the priests, and I made them swear to do what they had promised. He made them make it official in that setting by swearing an oath to the priest. Now, I'm not as sure that the method of declaration matters nearly as much as the fact that it needs to happen. If you only make a promise to change in the inner recesses of your own heart, you rob yourself of the power of accountability. But when you value commitment over privacy, it impacts both your own course and the course of others who see your desire to change. Verse 13, After the guilty had made their promise and they had sworn their oath, the whole assembly said, everyone said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. The power of public commitment. For the past 30 years or so, I've been a little bit of a long distance runner. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not very fast and my phone has never run with an an invitation to join the Olympic team. But over time, I've managed to run quite a few marathons and half marathons. and, And here's what I've learned. My running takes an immediate, noticeable change the moment I officially register for a race and declare openly that I'm going to do it. Friends start asking how my training is going. People start assuming that since I publicly registered, I'm actually going to follow through on it. And that public accountability has me lace up my shoes and head out for a training run even when I don't feel like it and especially when I otherwise wouldn't. Just that little bit of public commitment keeps me accountable. And... I've discovered the exact same thing holds true in some other more important areas of my life. Secrecy or privacy is a root that usually grows bad weeds. And openness is a vehicle to growth. I began by telling you how I first learned this stuff as a youngster in the garden. Truth is, it's taken me a whole lifetime to even begin to understand it. You see, although I learned a couple things about weeding back then, one thing I never understood at all was the direct connection between doing a good job in the garden and the experience of sitting down to a good, healthy, nutritious meal at the table. Pulling those weeds was vitally connected to parts of my life I never even imagined. Think about that one for a while as you consider recalibrating your life. Thank you for joining this episode of The Padres Chair. We hope that you found it stimulating as you consider the role God plays in your everyday life. If you find The Padres Chair helpful, then please pass it on to others who you think will appreciate it.